This podcast is brought to you in part by the estate of Bob Nelson. Bob was a lover of all things San Diego and a longtime supporter of Voice of San Diego and its podcasts. We at Voice of San Diego are honored to have his support during his lifetime and continued support through his estate planning. Are you passionate about resolving conflicts and making positive impact in the world? Then USD's Conflict Management and Resolution Master's program may be for you. Learn to address conflicts at all levels, from personal disputes to global crises. Join the Croc School's dedicated community, fostering peace and understanding while you acquire practical skills to navigate diverse settings. Apply now and be the change you want to see in the world. Visit sandiego.edu slash peace slash VOSD. That's sandiego.edu slash peace slash VOSD. Are you looking to engage with regional decision makers, business leaders, elected officials, and industry professionals committed to improving downtown San Diego? Join the Downtown San Diego Partnership. As a member, you'll receive access to exclusive resources, exposure to special programming, networking functions, and additional opportunities unmatched by any other local membership-based organization. Join the driving forces behind the future of downtown San Diego. For a 10% discount, become a member today. The Atlantis Group are land use consultant experts. We help clients navigate the maze of governmental land use policies and regulations to meet their goals. We evaluate development opportunities for entitlement requests and potential environmental constraints and we specialize in project management from concept to approval. Learn more at atlantissd.com. That's A-T-L-A-N-T-I-S-S-D.com. Council President Sean Elo Rivera is dealing with a lot of big issues as we discussed this week. But of course, the most pressing crisis for him and all the leaders in the region is homelessness. It is literally number one, two, and three on the list of things that people say they are concerned about in every survey. He wanted to talk to us this week about the scope of the problem as it is, and how seniors are disproportionately affected by the crisis, for example, and how to stop the flow or increase in homelessness as we try to fix what's going on. Let's get into it. I have been having a lot of trouble over the last two or three months, well, no, like six months or so with homelessness and with the conversations that I'm having about it. So I have a lot of different lives, right? I've got this life where we talk about these things on these high levels. We've, I've got my own neighborhood, I've got my uh, daughter's softball league. And in particular, at the softball league, we're dealing with a lot of encampments, a lot of people who are often unstable around um, the girls, around the playing surfaces and fields, and a lot of trash, a lot of it, it, things. And my own daughter, I took her to a Padres game not too long ago. and And as we were driving back, she said, look, I think I'm... I'm more of a mountains and rural girl. And I think your dad 
more of a city and beach guy. And I was like, oh, okay, like, why do you say that? And she said, well, cities are just so dirty and scary and there's so many people suffering in them and I don't like that. And it made me like really upset because that's what she thinks a city is. That she thinks a city is a place full of suffering and poverty and filth. And and so I'm just in this weird space where when we have these conversations with all these people, with my daughter, with my neighbors, the softball league parents, and I don't know what to tell them about what the city is doing right now with the number one, two, and three issue, which is homelessness and suffering in the streets. I don't know what to tell them. And when I, when I find myself saying like, well, the housing market is a ladder of opportunity and the, the bottom rung is really problematic, right? It's all falls short. What do you say these days? Yeah. I mean, the first thing is acknowledging that and like that, that's really sad. And it's sad because I, what, what do you say to your daughter? Cause that's what she's seen. Right. I mean, I, I say it often. I work downtown. Um, I have this responsibility of being a council member and now council president. And on a nightly basis, there's people who are sleeping outside our building and right across the street from our building. Um, and in no way, um, enjoying a quality of life that should make us proud. It's uncomfortable to see, um, it's even more uncomfortable for those who are experiencing it. Um, so the first thing is acknowledging that it's not okay, that it's gotten worse. We also, though, do know that um, we're doing stuff. The idea that we're not doing anything, um, we want folks to know, you know what we are doing. And I, I start always with eviction prevention, homelessness prevention. Um, over the past couple of years, since the pandemic started, City of San Diego, through the Housing Commission's put, I think it was over $218 million in emergency rental assistance out into the community. We passed a no-fault eviction moratorium earlier this spring to address what legal aid had said was a rising cause of evictions. And we know that evictions lead to homelessness. So that's the prevention side. We've significantly expanded shelter capacity. Um, we are trying to do things to make housing more affordable and accessible. None, it's not good enough. We are doing things, um, but um, I'm equally, probably equally, if not even more, Scott, um, upset by what I see out there. It, it bothers me. You know, you know I, I, I actually truly lack the words. Um, it's always bothered me, and it's different when you feel a different level of responsibility for you know making things better, mm -hmm. and you you can actually see that it's getting worse despite efforts to do better. What do you? What do you say is the primary cause of why it's getting worse? I, I think the primary cause of homelessness is is related to housing, right? So, and we know that our housing situation's not gotten any better. The housing situation's gotten worse. Mm -hmm. um, I don't know, you know, when the last time you took a peek at what rents are right now. Um, my parents are considering moving down to San Diego. Um, my wife and I are renters. Um, we've been in our place a little more than a year and a half. And the way that rents have skyrocketed just since the time, you know, we were looking for places, it literally scares me. I have no reason to believe that the primary cause of homelessness doesn't remain um, a lack of housing and affordable um, housing. And I would imagine that if we dug deep and looked at the spikes that we see, there's a direct correlation with that. Now, the other levels of suffering that you've, you've mentioned, I think that is a result of a few different things. 
One being um, the more strained the system is, the less focused and quality support that folks can get. Um, the duration that people are spending on the streets, that is just no way to live. And um, it, it has a, um, a, a, an effect of deteriorating the, the health, physical and mental health of someone who's going through that situation. Um, it increases susceptibility to dependence issues. Um, and so when we're not actually solving the problem, more people are entering into homelessness, we're likely to see more people who are, who are suffering. And um, I think anyone with an ounce of compa compassion should um, be uncomfortable with what they see out there. I think this is one of the root debates happening. It feels like there's a bunch of root debates happening where you can almost identify where somebody's going to fall the moment you start to talk to them. And one of those root debates is these folks are falling into homelessness because of addiction and mental health uh, you know, dilemmas versus these people are falling into homelessness because of economic failure and then turning to uh, or falling victim to mental health problems and substance abuse. And uh, do you feel like there's a clear like side that we all have to agree on with that? Or is it a little of both? Well, we're talking about a pretty sizable population of people, which means by definition, it's going right. to be complex, right? Um, so there is no one story for everyone who's experiencing homelessness. One thing that I've shared with folks that does seem to open eyes and at least get folks to pause, even when they're quite angry, is um, when we recognize that the um, the group or is increasing the most is seniors, uh, that based on our last point in time count, and a majority of those folks are experiencing homelessness for the first time. Uh, that speaks to some, you know, significant, significant um, societal failures, I think, from an economic perspective, safety, you know, what our safety net um, actually is doing in this housing market. Um, so I don't think that our senior population has suddenly become um, much more um, challenged by mental illness or substance abuse issues. I've seen nothing to suggest that there's been a skyrocketing um, increase in that. Um, might there be some? Probably, because again, we're talking about people and all of our mental health was strained by the last uh, couple of years. Um, but I think looking at the data and saying um, you know, who's actually becoming Homeless, uh, homeless most often uh, in comparison to what the situation was before and recognizing that it's seniors, um, I, I think is pretty good indicator that this isn't just about people who, and that they're experiencing homelessness for the first time, that this isn't just about people who don't have their act together, that there's something deeper going on, especially from an economic perspective. Yeah. So when we first started, you talked about we need to acknowledge what people are seeing as a reality. We need, and then we also need to drive home that that we are doing a lot of things. We're, what's the next step? How do you talk to them about what needs to happen so that the suffering goes down, the filth goes down, the 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 problems become less pressing? It's, it's addressing the, the the causes, right? Um, so we say first thing first, we need to keep the problem from getting worse. So we want to continue to focus on preventing homelessness as much as we can. So I want to make sure that we um, strengthen tenant protections, that we um, don't allow what is an incredibly tantalizing market for someone who's only profit-driven, and I'm not by any means suggesting that's all landlords, but certainly there's some. 
Um, we can't afford anybody unnecessarily entering into homelessness. We need to take uh, measures to prevent that. Just a quick point on that. There is an eviction protection you know, system right now that is expiring in the next few weeks, right? Mm-hmm. Is there, are there plans to uh, address that? We're working on a more comprehensive update to the tenant protections. I try to, to read the room in, in conversations that we have at council in open session. And, um, you know, I, I saw the conversation that we had um, around the no-fault eviction moratorium. Um, it was my hope that we could get those tenant protections, the, the comprehensive update, done before the, um, the moratorium lapsed. And we're going to work as hard as we can to get something more comprehensive on the, on the books. We said it at the time, um, that was a Band-Aid. Um, it was, you know, and band aids can be really important sometimes, right? Like life saving. Um, we we thought we saw it as that, um, but I, I don't know that depending on that over and over again um, is the way to go. And I, and I want to make sure that what we put forward has substantial council support, um, and we can get it on the books as quickly as possible. Let's deconstruct that term real quick. You mentioned no fault eviction protection in the sense that my understanding of that is if you're a tenant, you're paying your rent, you cannot be evicted. Generally, right. So, um, if you've if you've paid your rent, there's you know, very narrow exceptions for when you can be evicted, and the notice that you have to be given um, when when that happens. There's some landlords uh, they may have uh, just one condo, they rent out, they want to sell it. They're worried that this would prevent them from doing that. Or it's are there exceptions for yeah. for that? Yeah. So there's exceptions for you know moving in yourself or having a close family member move in, um, you can sell. You just need to provide enough notice um, to to um, have the person have a real shot at avoiding homelessness. Think about how expensive it is to um, to move out and find, and find a new place in San Diego right now. Um, it's a really, really significant cost. Uh, I think we estimated uh, back when we were considering the moratorium Somewhere in the range of seventy five hundred to eight thousand dollars, and and based on you know again, I'm tracking rent for my parents right now. I would imagine that's even even higher for someone who's trying to stay in the city of San Diego right now. And you know, we hear some you know, I guess a little uh, less compassionate folks who say, well, maybe they, maybe San Diego isn't isn't for them. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I have real concerns about a, a place where, um, where a person who's been a longtime San Diego resident um, has paid their rent. And um, we just say, well, the market doesn't allow for that person to be a San Diegan anymore. I'm, I'm not okay with that. All right. So I got you. I digressed a little bit, but that is a policy you want to see. Yeah. And okay. So I would digress. You were talking about preventing homelessness. What's next? Yeah. So, and then the next thing is, um, you know, the way that we're responding to folks who are experiencing homelessness now, and we'll put those folks in a, into two broad categories, those who are experiencing homelessness on the streets and those who are experiencing homelessness in shelters. Um, and by on the streets, we can also include you know, people who are living in their cars um, in, in that category as well. And how are we responding to those folks in such a way to, one, alleviate their suffering and the impact that it's having on um, the community as a whole um, by providing services, by ensuring that there's um, a, a level of resp- the appropriate level of response to um, ensure that there's sanitation and health protocols in place, um, and providing real options that work for um, work for a a diverse population uh, in terms of them exiting homelessness, and that those options are provided by people who those who are experiencing homelessness are likely to um, accept 
um, services from. Uh, we hear from constituents sometimes. Um, I've heard such and such went out there and offered something and was told no. Well, I don't know about you, Scott, but who offers me um, something oftentimes does in, you know have an effect on whether or not I accept what they are offering, even when I'm in a less than ideal circumstance. And for those of us who are not experiencing homelessness right now, we might say, well, if I was on the streets, anyone walked up to me and gave me offered me anything, I'd take it. So you know, people are a little more complex than that. They're a lot more complex than that. You know, our traumas, our experiences with different people, our uh, health needs, uh, physical and mental, all play a factor. And so, what we need is a shelter system that responds to those diverse needs. And the folks out there in the community who can, you know, connect with um, in a productive way in such a manner that encourages them to accept the shelter that that is there. So we want to get folks off the streets and into shelter. We also need to recognize, though, um, that we could get every single person who we see on the streets right now experiencing homelessness into a shelter, and it we would not have actually um, solved any individual's homelessness, right? So um, a person moving from the sidewalk to a shelter does not, is not still they're still homeless. I'm not okay with a permanent shelter state where we have people who, you know, are just up in, in congregate shelters for five, 10, 15, 20 years. Again, that's not the San Diego that I that I want. So we need to ensure that there are options that we're we're, we're increasing housing supply. We're making better use of the housing that currently exists. Um, we then these are all you know. There's a, so many layers of policies that need to be that either are on the books and are in the process of being implemented or need, uh, I would say, still need to be put on the books to get us there. Um, but, you know, there's, we, we need to recognize and reckon with that there's no silver bullet. And in my experience, one of the things that I've um, been frustrated times at, at times by is um, when folks put forward ideas and the response to it is, well, that doesn't work for everyone. Who's suggesting that it does? And my philosophy with this is, is if a solution is put forward that will solve one person's homelessness, we should give serious consideration to that. And if it solves two or three or five, great. But that is, you know, at the end of the day, we shouldn't be putting anything um, on the shelf because it doesn't solve a problem that cannot be solved, um, you know, with one magic um, wave of a wand. Um, so I think, you know, being, you know, really recognizing and reckoning that fact is, is an important part of this. Um, and we're going to continue to advocate for, you know, the broad spectrum of solutions that will actually result in fewer people experiencing homelessness while urgently acting to get people off the streets and into a more, um, safe, healthy, um, and, you know, dignified place in life. Yeah. So another one of those debates is this ongoing question of um, what you talked about, about are they willing to go to what we're offering for relief? And I've theorized that something changed maybe about 10 to 15 years ago when, with the introduction of the tent when, when basic camping supplies were applied to or adopted by people who were unsheltered to make it easier for them to be in the streets or out. And it um, 
to me, it fundamentally changed it from a calculus that they were making in their head that it was almost like it was easier, not easier, but it was just, it, it was more dignified to have a space to take care of it, to, um, to, and to kind of assert themselves as like, sorry, we're not going to hide from you anymore. We're not going to hide our situation from you anymore. We are going to be here and we're going to put our place here. And you, I'm sorry, it doesn't look good for you or whatever, but we're not going to, but, and, and that presents the case where that is a more attractive, they can have um, their dogs, they can have their family together, they can have a community around them that they, that they appreciate and that is a fundamental different calculation now about the offer of of a congregate setting shelter in alternative. And so there is an ongoing discussion about whether there needs to be other alternatives given to them, space set aside that they can do do that in a more allowable way where they could safe camp or safe village or safe park. And there seems to be a reluctance at the city by the mayor's office to endorse that sort of thing or at least a sort of defeatism that it can't it can't be applied at any kind of scale that there's not enough space or now I'd say like why not do like an RFP or something and see what is available for that sort of space but um, there's there are more defeatists in, in not embracing that do you have a stance on that calculation that people are making tents versus congregate settings and whether there should be alternatives yeah uh, definitely and and I think uh, I will I will note the the timing that you recognize so I, I have no doubt that you know availability of camping supplies might have been a part of that but um, the timing that you are laying out also seems to correspond with a significant reduction in SROs right yeah the, the absolute bottom rung of, of housing right um, you're talking about single room occupancy hotels that people could stay at for a long term weekly rate that was usually affordable yeah um, and all many of the conditions that you just described that um, might make a tent attractive or more attractive than a congregate setting um, would be applicable in an SRO, and, and the added benefit that's it's a, it's a building, right? It's not a tent. Um, you're not going to have um, a lot of the the dangers and um, challenges that come with with being on a tent. I don't think that's a coincidence. Um, you know, the the loss of the SROs from the San Diego housing market, I think, has had a significant impact. Uh, I know how important um, I've, I've shared, my, you know, my story and SRO is where I got myself through finals week, my first year of law school, my first semester of law school. Um, and the transition from a car to that SRO added a layer of stability that um, gave me just enough ability to rest and, and, and study um, that final week to, to, you know, make it through and not lose my scholarship. Where and, was that SRO? Uh, it was in uh, Bakers Hill. Mm-hmm. Does it's it still exist? There. Yeah, it's still there. It's, that one's actually still there. Um, and, um, yeah, I think about it every time I ride, I, I typically ride past it and I, I think about it every time I do. Um, so that, I don't think that's a coincidence. And I've been a, a, a pretty vocal proponent of expanding our non-congregate options. Uh, last year, um, council members, LaCava, Kate and Gampillo, uh, signed on to a, a memo uh, that we put forward, um, requesting the exploration of more non-congregate options. Um, I've been, um, appreciative of, uh, the mayor's office and, and city staff um, more regularly mentioning the importance of non-congregate options. I think we're going to see uh, some more of that. Uh, Just to be clear, a non-congregate op- option, we're talking about congregate shelters, which is sort of the the stereotype is just a big room 
with lots of bunks where everybody's in the same airspace. Correct. Right. Um, more uh, whether it's it's in kind of in mass or a dorm like right. you know um, with multiple people in a room. Just think, lot, not not much privacy. And when we think about what I'd mentioned earlier about who are the, the folks who are experiencing homelessness at a higher rate um, in terms of seniors, and there's so many reasons why someone may not be um, willing to accept shelter in a congregate setting, but may be much more open to it in a non-congregate setting. Um, you know, one of the things that we've we've heard, which I you know these these stories are real, and I hope give everyone pause. Um, you know, stories of seniors who are struggling. Uh, with health issues, or, you know that, that create um, issues around incontinence, and they're not—they're not trying to. to there's already a lot of dignity that's been stripped away from from their existence, and they're not trying to enter into a congregate setting where um, whatever last bit of of um, dignity they've been able to secure by way of a tent is gone. Um, you know, I, I hope we can all pause on what it would mean to be in a situation like that where we're making those sorts of calculations, but people are doing that. And so if we can expand con non-congregate options, um, and, and we are doing that, um, I think we need to do it even more uh, in a more robust way. I think that will help in terms of getting folks to accept, um, accept shelter and accept help. Mm -hmm. So the other sort of core debate going on is this question of uh, the role of enforcement of people to change that calculus for people where they, okay, you feel like you're comfortable and dignified and have your own space, but you're not allowed on that public land. That is public right away. And we need to clear those areas, clean those areas and move people along. And it seems like the mayor started um, a little bit further on the spectrum of that was um, inhumane what we were doing before to dislodge them to now um, promising almost even more forcefully that he would dislodge and, and make those camp settings more unstable and, and try to get them to move along. I'm not sure that the data proves that he's increased enforcement that much, but certainly there's a lot of enforcement going on. Where are you on the role of that sort of activity in this moment, you know, again, we have to recognize that there's some real issues that come from people living in spaces that they're people are not meant to live. Um, and the longer that goes on, um, the more challenges that those folks are facing, the more um, not just uncomfortable, right? Because um, I, I would say our discomfort with someone's homelessness is um, something that we kind of need to just wrestle with. That that's different than feeling unsafe. Or your daughter and her friends seeing things and experiencing things that no, you know, young woman should have to experience. Th that's different, right? The laws need to be uh, adhered to, um, but I want to make sure that we're we are doing that work in such a way that will actually again reduce homelessness. Um, that we're not just moving folks around. Um, that there's a plan in place for ensuring that the actions that we take are aligned with best practices to actually reduce the number of people who are experiencing homelessness in our city. Um, and again, we have to enforce the law. Um, we need to protect the health and safety of those who are experiencing homelessness and, the, and, and, um, and everyone uh, who's in our city. Um, so, you know, there's, it's one thing to say, you got to move things along so we can clean up here. Um, it's another thing to ar arrest someone. 
um, in terms of what the impact is on, on disrupting, uh, disrupting their life and perhaps making, putting a situation in such a place where they're actually less likely to, to, to become housed. Um, we w- I want to make sure that we're very careful about that. Uh, I also want to make sure that we're doing things that are aligned with the direction that we need to be going in order to ma- uh, maximize funding opportunities from the federal and state government. Uh, next Monday at council, when we have uh, the head of the Interagency Council on Homelessness come down and present, that's going to be part of the framework of the conversation, uh, is what should we be doing that we're doing, what should we be doing that we're not doing, what should we stop doing, uh, because we don't have nearly enough resources to tackle this problem, and I want to make sure that we're not taking anything off the table um, because of the things that we're doing now, or that we are um, not missing opportunities to secure more funding by um, leaning harder into certain strategies or tactics. The last thing that I'll say, Scott, with respect to kind of the enforcement side of homelessness is making sure that we draw the distinction between those who are experiencing homelessness and those who are preying upon those who are experiencing homelessness. And I think that's an important distinction. Um, my compassion for those who are preying on those who are experiencing homelessness and struggling with mental health or substance abuse issues is, um, you know, I'm not, I don't know if anyone would categorize me as a tough on crime person, but when we think about, you know, when I think about who I actually do want um, to, to have a higher, higher level of enforcement is certainly those who are preying on, on those people who are experiencing homelessness or in, in that tough spot. You know, ha- having seen family members and, and friends struggle with, um, with mental health challenges and addiction, the idea of someone you know, really taking advantage of that situation makes me extremely angry and I don't think we should have much tolerance for. You mentioned issues you shouldn't tolerate in encampments. What what specifically are you thinking of with that? Um, you know, drug use happens in million dollar homes, or that's not nothing. <laughs> yeah, I guess right, right. multi million dollar homes, as well as in a tent. Yeah. What what is intolerable in the tent specifically, and what is preying on them? What is what do, what are you thinking of when you hear about preying? Yeah, on- I think about someone who um, is afraid to fall asleep at night. Um, because of what ha- might happen to them and is offered a drug that'll keep them up. Um, I'm thinking about uh, people who are offered um, who are offered a, a bit of money because they desperately need money um, and are trafficked. Like that's that's what I'm talking about. Is those folks who are seeking out people who are in a vulnerable situation um, and looking to take advantage of that for their own uh, profit and gain. And then in an encampment, are you also thinking about sanitation issues? Uh, for sure, places to go to the bathroom. Yeah. Absolutely. And, you know, to your point, you know, it's the safe camping models. I'm certainly open to that. Uh, I expressed that during, during the budget conversation, Councilman Whitburn has advocated for that. I think there's a place for that, but again, I just want to make sure that we're wrestling with the reality that that will make things more sanitary, hygienic, dignified, and will not reduce homelessness. So we just, what, what I want the council to do next week in particular, and, and in a, in a more proactive way moving forward is make sure that we are balancing our investments in such a way where we're addressing the immediate needs, but also building a pathway to having more people housed and fewer people unhoused over the long term. I am not comfortable with establishing a permanent shelter state in the city of San Diego. I think we're better than that. And I think we should, for, for moral and for for financial reasons, um, that is not a, a system that we should be striving for. If in a year from now, things are better, we've seen market improvement with um, the situation in the streets, more people have found um, 
actual relief to homelessness, not just, uh, uh, like you said, shelter in the meantime. What, what do you think would have been the biggest contributor? I actually think it would be the prevention side. Um, because what we've seen in other uh, cities, LA is a great example. They're moving hundreds of people out of homelessness per day and even more are becoming homeless. So that is why my attention is so focused on that prevention side, uh, because what we just simply cannot have, and then, you know, the, the, the city's investing in that homelessness prevention. I, I mentioned the emergency rental assistance. There's a shallow subsidy that the city put forward to, to, that will target 300 families who are at risk of homelessness to make sure that they can stay in their homes. So I think that the most, if we see real improvements, it, it will be because we've, we've um, turned off the tap, if you will, um, that we've, we've kind of reduced the flow or ended the flow of people into homelessness and are actually make, able to, to see that when we do get people housed, um, we're not just adding one or two people in their place. Yeah. You mentioned just lastly, SROs, and I, I, I've seen that coincidence as well in, in timing. It's not a coincidence. When we got rid of the lowest rung of, of housing options, then there's no option after that except uh, an unsheltered life. Is the, are the economics in place and the policy, is it legal right now to have an SRO, to build an SRO, to permit one, or to transform something into one? And uh, is the city doing all it can to create those opportunities for safe but extremely affordable living? If, if a lot of these folks could access maybe $1,500 a month or more, are the opportunities, uh, the, the sort of policy uh, structures in place to allow those opportunities to be met with, with supply? Yeah, um, I've... I need to double check, but no one's told me that it's not allowable to build an SRO. Now, do the finances work? That's a different question. This is why I am such a strong advocate of social housing or public investment in housing. Um, you know, there are examples of how that didn't go well, um, but I would say that the status quo is completely unacceptable and a completely market-based housing um, market is it's not tenable. Um, we are not going to solve this simply through you know, the market doing, doing its thing. Well, it might be completely market-based except that there's giant restrictions on the market building housing as well. So it's like, it's, it's maybe market-based within like a very severe constraint imposed by zoning and, and government. Yeah. I personally have more of the thought that I'd rather folks be able to build with, you know, private builders build what they want to build and, and what works for them, but ensure that the, the public sector is also providing that safety net of housing uh, for folks who um, either need it or want it. I, to me, that's the best mix. Um, I, I think you know the fewer regulations we have in terms of building, you know, probably the better, uh, especially in comparison to where we are and where we've been over the last several decades. So that's why you know I'm a big advocate of that is because we need to make sure that the city is in, the city and the state, and I would actually call on the federal government as well to invest in a much more pronounced way in housing solutions up and down. Um, the, the the latter uh, that's essential to me, um, and then you know how we kind of piece that together, right? How creative are we being um, in in identifying properties that are maybe not being uh, maximized in terms of their utility, and creating opportunities to to you know convert that into housing, even if it's or shelter, right? Because um, shelter is a step toward housing. Um, I've had some conversations with folks around you know playing um, around 
doing more to utilize the hotels and motels in San Diego, perhaps during off seasons, right? As temporary shelters where we can get people um, back on their feet quickly. You know, if we think about what um, could come from a, a mom with a family uh, who's just, you know, faced eviction, a safe non-congregate setting for a week or two to just kind of keep her life in order, her kids' lives in order, um, while they find a more permanent housing solution, we need more options like that as well. Um, so, you know, obviously, Scott, I could talk about this all day, um, but I, I, I do think that the public has an important role to play in in, in providing not just SRO options, but um, housing options at that kind of, um, we refer to it as like the bottom rung of housing or kind of crisis uh, housing situations as well. One other thing um, you talked to me about that is coming up next week is something that might be applicable to folks that we're encountering a lot uh, on the streets or in parks. What is that? Yeah. So um, in the final budget action, uh, um, the council took back in June, uh, we provided funding for something called a multidisciplinary outreach team. And this outreach team is made up of medical professionals, outreach workers, and social workers. And their time and effort is meant to be dedicated to those individuals who are interacting with our health and justice systems the most, who have the highest needs. And um, it's a select number of individuals that they'll be working with. Um, we believe that this funding will help draw down additional funding from the federal government to expand the number of, of folks that they interact with. But there's an important, it's important to recognize the way that providing dedicated and specialized individual uh, outreach to those individuals helps the entire system. And when they interact with those folks who have the most significant meet and needs, that means that the whole system will have a little bit less stress on it as a result of having to consistently interact with individuals who a police officer or your typical outreach worker on their own simply cannot solve the problems for. Um, so again, this is not the silver bullet, but I think it's an important piece of the puzzle. Um, and I, I you know, don't expect to see things change overnight as a result of it, but um, this investment, I think, is an important one in ensuring that we are compassionately and effectively addressing the needs of those who we are probably almost disturbed and upset by seeing um, them experiencing homelessness. Council President Shani Lou Rivera, thanks for coming in. Thank you for having me, Scott. Thanks for listening to the Voice of San Diego podcast, the most popular public affairs podcast recorded in this part of San Diego and that puts on PolitiFest 2022. We're the most popular public affairs podcast that is part of putting on that great festival of panels and debates. See them all at politifest.org and uh, get some tickets. You can get those tickets at politifest.org. Get a couple for you, your friends. Students are free. Again, that's politifest.org. I'm Scott Lewis, CEO and Editor-in-Chief at Voice San Diego. Nate John is our expert producer. Thanks for listening. We'll talk to you next week.